You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. The lesson today is getting well. We're going to be going out of John chapter 5, so if you want to get ready for that. Before that, though, I want to share just share some good news. If you've been watching any of the Olympics, then uh, you've probably seen the name Sydney McLaughlin, uh, Olympic gold winner, world record setter. Um, you know, and, and I just want to share good news because it's always great to see a kingdom kid make it big in some way. And, and, uh, Sydney is certainly a kingdom kid. We, uh, we actually remember Michelle and I remember her, her family was part of our ministry in New Jersey and her mom and dad were solid Bible talk leaders and, and just a wonderful family, an amazing couple. And the last time we saw Sydney is when we moved at her, she was just a little tyke running around in children's ministry. And of course, we had no idea then that she would grow up and become this Olympic superstar. You know, so if you've been watching at Olympics at all, I'm sure you've seen her name and it was pop up all over the place. And it's so cool to hear her share about her faith, you know, about how much strength she gets from God and even convictions about sharing about not being on social media and and uh, just how solid she is as a person because of all that she learned from her parents and from the, the church. So good to see that. Um, let's be praying for her. You know, she did, she actually, she actually got baptized here in the Los Angeles church in our, in our church. Um, that she, as she got older, she studied the Bible here and, and got baptized. So keep her in your prayers. Um, you know, God just watch over her. Cause obviously there's a lot of pressure on her and, a, and I'm sure Satan is after her with all the fame and, and, uh, press that she's gotten recently. So keep praying for her. So the lesson is is getting well, and it actually ties in a little bit with with um, the Olympics and being an Olympian and the mindset and the heart set of, of an Olympian. Um, we're gonna our main text today is gonna be John chapter five. So let's go ahead and go and go there and read. So in John chapter five, verse one, we read: Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that, that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. Um, you know, classic story. We've we Most of us you know, who are in the church, we've heard this story, read it many, many, many times, oftentimes would study this with people. Uh, for many of us have done in the past what's called the John studies you go through, and this is one of the scriptures we read and talk about getting well and what that takes, you know, what the, what it takes. Um, the pool is a very famous pool, the, the, the Bethesda pool. It was actually discovered you know, it's one of those things that that you know people will criticize the Bible and say there's this pool doesn't even exist. It just shows that people made up stuff and the writers were making things up as they went. And and then lo and behold, of course, somebody found it. 1956, they found the the pool of Bethesda. 
Um, and now it's a place you can go. It's actually in the Muslim quarter. I was actually right there when I visited Jerusalem, but unfortunately I didn't know about the, the pool of Bethesda and, and I missed that spot, but, but it's there. You can go see it now. You can go see the remains. And it's really cool because it's one of the few places that, you know, Jesus was right here. He stood right here. I mean, you can go stand on the steps that Jesus stood on and, and where he had the conversation with this man. But there it is. Um, you know, the anything that Jesus does and anything recorded in the Bible, there are layers of meanings, right? The pool of Bethesda. Bethesda in Hebrew, Bethesda, means house of mercy. And so Jesus comes to him and, of course, shows him mercy, shows him grace, shows him kindness, you know. He's in a situation, he'd been there for 38 years, and nothing had happened. And and, and the, see, the myth was, the, 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 the popular belief was that every once in a while, the water would stir, and it was believed that, that meant an angel passed over it or through it, I'm not sure, but an angel touched it, and if you got in first, you could be healed. It actually has a very long history, back to, to Greek times and and for many years afterwards of being a place of healing. And and so he was trying to get there. He'd been there, and he'd been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. I, I, I It's funny, because I was thinking about this, and I thought, I've been a Christian 38 years. I know that's a long, long time. And he'd been in this situation, in this condition, for that long. In other words, he wasn't born paralyzed. He wasn't born this way. But something happened for, for, and for, for many, many, many years. He was an invalid. And for we don't know exactly how long, but for, for a long time, he's been trying to get into this pool with the hope and the prayer of being healed. And, um, and it's not the only pool. There's also the, the, the pool of Siloam, or in Hebrews, which is another pool that um, was very famous. There's a whole story behind that one in John chapter 9, the healing of the blind men. I'm going to go ahead and just read it to you. Um, and But that one was also recently discovered, even more recently, in 2004. And again, it was another pool that people thought, people were saying, ah, yeah, you know, they made up stuff in the Gospels, and, and clearly whoever wrote it had never been there because there was no such a place. Lo and behold, they find it, right? There it is, boom. It was actually part of Hezekiah's tunnel and engineering so that the city could have water even when they were under siege. But it was also used as a mikveh, which is a, a, a baptistry, basically. It's where you go get baptized and and before you enter. And this is long before Jesus. Uh, it, was a, it was a baptistry, and the Jews would baptize to purify yourself. You couldn't go in the temple unless you were baptized. But anyways, it was also known for as a place of healing. And there we find another encounter, John chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus, uh, we, we read... As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. 
So the man, the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they asked him. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. I love the I love how blunt and honest the Bible is. It's like, where is this guy? Where is this man? I don't know. That was and the, and the and it ends just like that. I don't know. You know, it's just simple, honest answer. I don't know. Um and, and later on, of course, he's calling the testimony. And he says, all I can tell you is that I used to be blind and now I can see. I don't know about theology. I don't know about messiahs and all that kind of stuff. But God changed me. And and it's it's significant that Jesus told him to go and get in this pool where people would get baptized. And that healed him. That helped him heal. And obviously, Jesus had the power that he could have just said, be healed, and he would have been healed. But he went and made the little mud and put it on his eyes and made him go to the pool and, you know, dip himself in the pool to get to wash his eyes and, 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 and go through this whole little thing so that the miracle could happen. Nothing is accidental in the Bible. There's always messages inside there. Um, the healing of the blind man and the healing of the lame man. There's absolutely a message inside this. And he's talking to God's people. About what? About being blind, about being lame, about seeing, about changing, about being healed, about being what God was calling them to be. But we have, but they're in this situation where they're both handicapped. They're both lacking the the, the way or the means or the power to get better, right? And in many ways, that was God's people. They were you know, good-hearted, they were there, but they were not being what God had called them to be. They were not living the blessings of God. And certainly that happens. And the, and the, and the, and the amazing thing is Jesus looks at him and he asks that classic, that fateful question, do you want to get well? You know, I remember the first time I read that, I thought, what kind of question is that? Of course the guy wants to get well. I mean, He's paralyzed. He's crippled. He's he, he he has to beg for a living. Of course, these guys want the help to to overcome. He'd been sitting there by the pool for who knows how long, trying to get healed. And every time the water stirred, somebody would get in there before he did. And he just kept losing and losing and losing and losing out and losing out and losing out and losing out. And, out. and Jesus comes along and asks him, "Do you want to get well?" And of course, we a lot of us have read that scripture, and the, and we challenge people with it. Say, okay, I know you got problems, I know you got situations in your life, but do you really want to fix this? Do you really want to make your life better? And I think it begs some questions, right? Um, do you want to get well? Why, well, first of all, why ask him that? I think about okay. Sometimes Jesus asks questions. Actually, quite a few times Jesus asks questions, not because he wanted the answer but because he wanted to make people think. He wanted people to think it through. You know, mathetis is the word disciple. It's the same root word as mathematics. It's to think something through. 
It's basically being a disciple is being a thinking person. It's thinking through situations. If I have this problem and I know this solution makes a difference, then how do I get there? You think it through. You don't just sit there and wish that something would happen, but you think it through and you figure out how am I going to get there? Okay, so the question, seemingly a dumb question, was not really a dumb question. It really made him think it through. I think I think he, he wanted to make him realize the situation. You are so close to healing, but you're not getting it. You're so close. You're almost arm's reach. Of course, he can't get himself over there. He needs somebody to help him. He needs to set himself up. He needs to be on a slope and he can roll in or something, you know. And But somehow he gotten used to, I can't do it. I just can't make it happen. And for however long he was sitting there, he just got used to being the guy left out. I think it, he asked he asked him this because it begs the question, what are you doing to make it happen? What action are you taking? What are you changing? If you can't keep, if, if everything you do fails, then, or, or you can't seem to be able to, to grab a hold of what you want, you got to find another way. You got to think this through. You got to come up with some other plan. Obviously, lying there and trying to get yourself into the water, he must have had some way. He could roll in or drag himself or something. I don't know. He could do something to get in there, but everybody kept beating him to it. Well, that happened so many times, then you got to figure out, okay, there's a better way. There's got to be a way to make this happen. And so Jesus was challenging him to take action, to get help. You know, if you can't fix yourself, which the older we get, the more we realize we can't fix ourselves. We need help. You know, when we're young, we think we can just fix ourselves. I can do it. I can make it happen. I'll get this. I'll figure this out. You know, and and just go to any addiction meeting. And that's one of the primary lessons is you are powerless to change yourself. You need a higher power. Ergo, God. You need help. But not just God. We need people around us. And, And so he was challenging him to think that through. I think he was trying to show him... And he was setting it up for everybody to see that the solution really wasn't even getting in the water. The solution was Jesus. The solution was turn to Jesus and ask him for help. Because in reality, only Jesus can heal you. Only Jesus can really change your life. And he was really calling, forcing him to think it through so that he could put his faith in Jesus. So the question, it's a good question. Do you want to get well? Was he did, was it that he was a bad man? Was it that that he's just lazy and and unspiritual and faithless? I don't think so. I don't get that feeling. And I, I get the feeling that he was just frustrated. That he just couldn't he couldn't figure out how to get this right. He couldn't get figure out how to get himself healed. He wasn't a bad person. I think sometimes as disciples, we get in a bad place and we find ourselves in a, in a bad place. And it's not that we're bad people. It's not that our hearts are evil. It's just it's that we haven't thought it through. We haven't taken the action we need to take. And, and we get stuck and we get faithless where we just get used to that. You know, we get used to not having a good marriage. We get used to not having a, a great relationship with our kids. We get used to not having good friendships in the church. We get used to stuff that we should never get used to. 
but because we can't figure out how to make it happen or because we can't seem to figure out how to how to achieve that or get there we just kind of we get we get stuck we we just we're there all the time but we're not bad people we just haven't figured it out did 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 he have a legit challenge or legitimate challenges yes of course he did you know of course he did he 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 needed help. He he was legitimately handicapped. He'd been this way for thirty eight years, and it wasn't it wasn't his fault, right? Was it his fault? Not necessarily. I mean, we don't actually know, but but I doubt it was. You know, I mean, it was probably a sickness or an accident or something like that. And and so it's not like what's wrong with you, you know? And and people thought that actually, people actually thought that if you were crippled or blind or lame. You probably did something that made God punish you like that. So not only did you have the struggle of being handicapped, but people would also look down on you, assuming that you must have done something for God to punish you. So it was a double whammy to have something like this. You know, and of course, nobody's going to want to help you if they think it's your fault, right? Or that God did that to you. So was he stuck? Yeah, hugely stuck. I mean, he was so close to help, and yet so far. So close, and yet so far. I I see that happen in the church. I see people in terrible marriages sometimes. It's like, you're so close. You're so close to having a great marriage. You just have to make some changes. You're so close to having a healthy, happy family, or having great relationships, deep friendships, Having a great life that Jesus is trying to give us, but we're not paying attention, or we're not listening, or we've allowed ourselves to get stuck. You know what stuck is? Is when 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 your faith becomes theoretical, and not real anymore, not practical anymore. On a practical level, we're like atheists. We just assume nothing's going to happen. We don't count on things happening. We don't expect things to happen, and we certainly don't talk to God as though He were going to do something for us. And and we and we're stuck. Instead of that faith, instead of that the, the action that comes by faith, we all want to get well. I mean, everybody does. I don't know anybody who's like, you know, I pray I have a lousy day and I'm selfish and impure and and you know angry with my kids or my wife or my my fa- friends. No, of course not. We all we, we all want to have a great life. We all we we want to have a, a life that we feel good about. That we feel like this is my life. This I love my life. We all want to be have a great marriage. Those of us who are married, we want it to be great. We'd like to come home to a happy home where we're loved, where we love each other. We all we all want to have great friendships. No matter where we are in life, no matter whether we're young or middle-aged or old or or somewhere in between, everybody wants to be part of a group of friends. You know, people that you can count on, people that you can rely on, people that are there for each other, people who love to be together, who have fun together, who who go no matter what happens in life, they can count on each other. We all want that. I mean, everybody wants that. I don't care what your background, I don't care if you're a university professor with all kinds of intellectual thoughts in life, or you're a gangbanger trying to get out of the gang world or addicted or whatever, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. We all want the same thing. We want great relationships, great friendships. We want to have a great purpose. We want to feel like my life means means something. Like it, we, we're like what I'm doing makes a difference. It, it has a purpose. It, we all need that. We all need that. We we want great success. Whatever we put our hands to, 
whatever we decide, we want to get an education, we want to get a good career, we want to raise a family, we want to we want to build a business, we want to fulfill a dream, whatever it is, we want success, right? Nobody prays for failure. And and and, and this is the crazy thing is God wants us to be successful. God wants us to have all these things. God wants us to have, we all want a great relationship with God. We all would like to be super close to God. We'd all like to feel like this with God and feel his presence and feel his strength and feel his power and the confidence that comes with it where it doesn't matter to you what the world says or what happens in the world or nobody can touch you. Nobody can make you hateful or hurt you or or manipulate you or or force you to do anything because you are in God's hands. All of us want that relationship. All of us want to feel like that. All of us want to be strong in the Lord, free and pure, able to to overcome the temptations that hit us, able to override our sinful natures, you know, when we get angry or frustrated or resentful or, or we have evil thoughts or whatever, we get jealous or envious. We like to be able to just boom, override that, delete it like a bad file, delete, gone. We want to have that relationship. I mean, who does it, right? I mean, everybody does. We, and ultimately, we all want to get to heaven. We all want to be with God in heaven. And, and we want to have that confidence that when I die, I don't have to fear what's going to happen to me. And when my, and, and when my kids die or when my spouse dies or when my best friend dies or whatever, that, that I can feel confident. I know, one, that they are ready to meet God to see God, and two, that we're going to heaven, you know, it's going to be great. We all want these things. These are the great things. And I think sometimes Jesus would ask us, do you want these things? Do you really want these things? Or are we stuck? Are we sitting there on the steps, looking at that water, wishing we could get healed? Wishing I had a better marriage. Wishing I had better friendships. Wishing I was close to people. Wishing that I could overcome this sin. Or that I could get resolved with this person and not have enemies or not have broken relationships. Wishing these things. That's not where God wants us to be. And and it's important to recognize that Satan's always trying to beat us down. He's always trying to beat you down. He wants you stuck. He wants you unable to change. He wants you stuck in almost there. Stuck in wishful thinking. Faithless. Unable to change your situation. And that is a big fat lie. Because we have the power of God at our disposal. I think that this last year has really laid some pretty heavy challenges on us. All of us. All of us. And the question is, this morning I'm asking is, are you a victim of the pandemic? Are you a victim of the challenges? Are you a victim of life? Or are you with Jesus and receiving the reward of your faith? I think that that I honestly, and and again, I'm not, not not judging anyone, not saying anybody's bad or, but I think a lot of us have gotten really beaten up. A lot of us have gotten disconnected. A lot of us have been just kind of slowly floating away. 
you know, because the the usual setup, the weekly meetings, the you know Bible talk meetings, the midweek meetings, the the Sunday meetings, the talking face to face, the getting with each other, obviously those things have been gone, but our faith and our victory of life should not be dependent on those things. Those are wonderful things. And I'm telling you, man, I just, I love, I have loved these park services. I have loved being able to get with brothers and sisters again. I've loved being able to connect. But but if I can't connect face-to-face, I still have God. I still have many other ways to connect. I can keep myself connected. You can keep yourself connected to God and everyone in the church, despite the challenge of, of a pandemic. But a lot of it depends on where we're at. And are we doing the things that we need to be doing in order to stay well, in order to be strong, in order to be spiritually healthy? All the wonderful classes on meditation and Bible reading and all that kind of stuff are worthless if we're not doing it. If we're not putting these things in practice, the questions I see is, do you, are, do you let the Bible change you? Are you, are you, are you so open to the scripture? Are you opening your heart and mind to the scriptures to let the scriptures change you, challenge you, call you out, make you different? You know, are you growing and changing right now? I mean, this is a great time to grow and change. You say, yeah, but I mean, there's so many things we can't do, but there's so many things we can do. And there's books we can read and there's studies we can do and there's quiet time packets we can do. And, and, and there's just tons of resources that you don't have to go anywhere. You can do it right in your home. You can do it in your car. You can do it all over. But we have to rise up to those challenges. We have to, we, we have to open up our hearts and decide, you know what? I'm going to be an open person. I'm going to listen to these lessons. I'm not just going to be encouraged by them. I'm not just going to be intellectually stimulated by them. I'm not going to be just, you know, get the warm fuzzies because of them. I'm going to let them change me. What am I going to be different now? What am I going to do different? How am I going to be different? Are you prioritizing the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God. The Bible. What is that? What do I mean by all that? Just practical stuff. Our Bible reading. Memorizing scripture. Being, digging in the scripture to learn and to understand and grow closer to God. It isn't, the studying the Bible, it's not just gathering information. Okay? It's in there for formation, right? Formation. God making you like Jesus. God changing your heart. God making you in his image and in his likeness, the way we were all meant to be, Right? It's not just information. It's in there for mation, to have us, form us, to make us like him. The Bible, prayer. Are we, are we prioritizing the time to go for a walk or close the door and, and just get on our knees and pray? To go down, down to the beach and spend some time talking to God. Our a discipleship. You know, we made this incredible discovery about four or five decades ago. Discipleship. We realize, you know, somebody can grow so much more if they get with somebody that's older than them spiritually, that can help them. And I realized that a lot of mistakes were made and, you know, for, for, in some places, discipleship got really funky and authoritative and top down, all that junk. And all that's bad, sinful, has nothing to do with discipleship in the Bible. 
but just one person helping another, practicing the one another scriptures. How important is that to us? It makes a huge difference on how well we're going to do as Christians, whether we're making sure that we're getting with people. It may not be, you might think, well, I don't have anybody I'm close to that's, you know, spiritually more mature than me. Well, then find a partner, find a buddy, you know, just somebody to pray with and talk with and, and encourage each other. But it's, uh, it's for us to make that happen. It's for us to reach out and prioritize it and, and reconnect. And I, and you know, I feel, I, I, I hear people that, yeah, I haven't had any help. I haven't gotten with anybody in a long time and nobody's, everybody's busy. I've heard people say that, yeah, I tried to get studies set up with my friend and nobody had time and, you know, everybody was busy and, and it's just, that's horrible. That means that we, we have lost the priority of the kingdom. And I don't mean, I know it's not everybody. I know it's a few people. It's a number of people. I don't know what the number is, but I know that all of us need to make the kingdom of God our top priority. And not because we're afraid of going to hell, but because we love God. And we know that he is the solution. That Jesus is the way for me, my life, and for whoever it is I'm talking to. But may, living according to what our priorities are. Making sure that I'm getting discipled. Making sure I'm getting with somebody. You know, that I'm reaching out and finding somebody. There's got to be somebody in the church that I can get with and pray regularly and be committed. I think, honestly, I think a lot of us have forgotten how to be committed to each other. How to prioritize one another. Not And, and, and we've allowed getting together to drop down to if I have time, if I feel safe, and if, you know, and if I don't have to do it on Zoom or whatever. Instead of, no, I need to get with people. I need to encourage people. I need to let people encourage me. I need to just connect and pray with somebody. I mean, if I got, I don't know what to say, then just pray together. Set up a time to pray together. Fellowship, how incredibly important that is. Even on Zoom. You know, the, the, I'm speaking Spanish. Mira, the, the, the first century Christians, they didn't have Zoom. And they couldn't always get together because most of the time it was illegal to be a Christian. So they would either have secret meetings or they would write to each other, write letters to it, write letters. You know, you know what the modern form of letter writing is? Sending a text, you know, just to say, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm behind you. I'm with you. I'm, you know, I miss you or, or, hey, I wish we were friends or something, but just get out there. The priority of worshiping God. Now, I don't mean just, I don't mean just praying or having a quiet time. And here's the problem is that we became very dependent on church services. That's where we worship God. You realize that that's not even really technically worship. The word worship means to get on your knees before God. We don't even do that on Sunday mornings. But we've become very we have become very dependent on that being our worship time. And I know that some of us are listening right now and we're like, dude, I, I sing every morning and I pull out my... Wonderful, great for you. But I know that a lot of people are not doing that. I know a lot of people are not worshiping God. And you don't even have to sing to worship God. You can get on your knees, bow before him. But if you can sing, even better. Why? Because singing is another language. It's another channel to connect with God. You know, that, that is different than writing. Journaling is another channel. Writing letters is another channel. Singing is another channel. Write God poems. It's another channel. Write, write prayers. We're gonna, we're gonna be talking about some of those things in the spiritual development classes. Things to connect us to God. Putting our time and energy in that. So that what? So that we're healed. 
so that we have that life that God has promised us. In Philippians 2.12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. This is an admonition from Paul. This is a challenge. This is a, whatever you want to call it, a, a commandment, an order, a, a kick in the butt. You know, this is a, hey, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you go after these things. You know, I mean, if you've been around the church more than three months, you know what it takes to be a strong disciple. You know what it takes to do well spiritually. Go after it. And he says, he says with fear and trembling, which is very much an Old Testament concept, you know, that you approach God with fear and trembling. What does all that mean? That means with respect that's due to God. With the respect that is due to God. That if somebody is important to me, I don't blow off time with them. If somebody is important to me and they send me a text, I try to get back to them right away. If somebody is important and they call me, I try to answer the phone or I try to call them back. In other words, I try to stay connected. Anybody who's important to me, right? And and I put the church in that whole the whole church in that category because they're important. It's my brothers, it's my sisters. You know, it's who matters in this universe in terms of me helping them and them helping me. So they are absolutely a priority. Just like my wife's a priority over everybody here. I don't care who's in the church. If somebody wants to talk to me about my wife wants to talk to me, she's first because she's a priority. God is my priority. And, and, and so we should have that respect. Respect the Lord. Respect for God. That's what he means by fear and trembling. I mean, there are some times that, that, you know, Jesus was full of grace and mercy and kindness and loved everybody and everybody felt welcome. Even sinners, people who were messing up, loved being around Jesus. But he also knew how to pull it out, pull out the discipline too. He, he also knew how to challenge people. A little phrase of his was weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be people who are so, so frustrated that they didn't do what was right. They didn't change. They didn't make it happen. Now, I'm not talking about miracles because that's God's business, but just get themselves to be right with God, set up being close with God. I mean, God does all the real work. He does all the heavy lifting, but we've got to spend time with him. We've got to pray to him. We've got to lean on him. We've got to share our hearts with him. He'll change us. He'll fill us up with love. He'll bless us. He'll do all these things, but we can't expect that if we got no time for him or if we've given him little bits and pieces. It's like trying to take a shower one drop at a time. I'm going to take, I'm going to do one drop every day. And at the end of a month, I'll have 30 drops. No, just dive in, baptize, you know, be baptized in God. Jump on in. The water's good. And he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in, in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is working in us. You realize that all of us have the Holy Spirit in us. All of us who were who put our faith in Jesus, repented, and got baptized. What is the Holy Spirit trying to say to us? Are we listening? What is the Holy Spirit trying to change in us? Are we moldable? Are we really the clay and God is our potter? Are, are we really allowing ourselves to be changed and molded and transformed? Again, all these scriptures 
I mean, all these studies we're doing about spirituality and being close to God, they're not magic. They're just ways to draw, get close to him so that he can change us and strengthen us. And, and we can be inspired. And we can overcome all the challenges we face because we're facing a lot of challenges right now. But nothing too big for God. But it's on us to sit next to God. I mean, that's what all these spiritual lessons basically do is they help us to sit next to God and to be influenced by God and to be moved and inspired by God. We have to make a decision. I will stay connected to God. I will connect to God. I will stay connected to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to my spouse, to the partnerships God gives me, whether that's roommates or friends or other brothers and sisters, to the church, to God's family. You know, I mean, this is what happens when we get faithless or worse. You know, I talked about consumer Christianity where we go to the church expecting it to be like the YMCA. What does it, does it meet my needs? And that's how you always know when somebody has swallowed that whole line of thinking, this, this American popular Christianity thinking that's just consumer Christianity. It's basically, is it what I like? Does it meet my needs? You know, when Jesus said the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. But it's easy for us to pick up those attitudes, especially when we're far from God. We have to make the decision. I will stay close to God and stay close to my family. Stay close to my church. Stay close to my people. Who are my people? My people are everyone who does the will of God. That's my people. They are my people. The tribe of God. The people of God. I challenge you. Today, send three texts. How about this whole week? Every day, just send three texts to somebody. How much you love them, how much you appreciate them, what you're thankful for. Do it. Do it. Do it today. Today. Right after church, pull out your phone and send three texts. And do it every day for seven days. Why? Because I'm telling you, Satan is pulling people away. Satan is 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 luring people away who are feeling weaker and weaker, who are feeling less and less connected. And 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 it's not, you know, the, the temptation is to blame somebody. Well, it's the my Bible talk leader's fault. Oh, it's my sector leader's fault. It's my ministry leader's fault. It's the evangelist's fault. It's the pandemic's fault. No, no. We get challenges. That's life. Life is full of challenges. If we allow those challenges to dictate our life, then that's our fault. We have God. We have God. We can stay connected. We can fight for our faith. We can do what we can. We can do everything. And some of us have lots of time. Some of us have almost zero time. Some of us are healthy and there's no reason we can't run around visit people. Others of us, we're sickly and we can't run around. We can't do a whole lot. So don't worry about This isn't about how much are you going to do. It's really what's in our hearts. And do you do the things you can do? And that's important because I don't think the guy at the pool of, of, of Bethesda was a bad guy. I just think he didn't see the way out. I think the guy at the pool of Siloam couldn't see the solution. So what did Jesus do? He healed his eyes so he could see. And remember, these things happen because Jesus was teaching God's people to not be paralyzed, to not be stuck, to not be blind, but to see and understand and take action on these things. In Second Peter 1, 
Classic line, chapter and verse two, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Boy, there's a lot in that in that in those verses. We could have a whole sermon on that, but I just got to point out one key thing, and that is he has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need to be strong in the Lord. Everything we need to overcome the evil that's thrown at us. Everything we need to overcome our own sinful that comes out our sin that comes out of our own heart and the issues that we have. Everything we need to have great relationships, great marriages, great uh, friendships. He gives us it all. So it's on us. We cannot blame the church or blame the world or blame the government or blame other people for what is happening or not happening. Because what is in our hands is how we deal with it and how we handle it. There's a classic cartoon. I'm really aging myself here. Some of you will remember this cartoon used to be in all the magazines. Is the little wimpy guy and the big guy that kicks sand on him and and he can't do anything about it. Even the girl calls him a little boy and, and he goes off and buys the book and gets all strong, right? And now nobody's going to be kicking sand on him anymore because basically what is, what is he doing? He's deciding not to be a victim. He's deciding to get strong, get healthy. This is what Jesus said. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Holy Spirit tells us. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know, the the guy was blind and they asked why. And Jesus said to prove the power of God, basically. To prove, to show, to display the power of Jesus. We have challenges The challenges are opportunities to show God's power. We have weaknesses. The weaknesses are opportunities to grow and depend on Jesus, depend on God. We have obstacles to even each other, being with together. They are opportunities to overcome and show that nothing will stop God's church. We've talked about in the past a vision for a great church, a great family. That's not a magic thing. That's a thing that happens when we put the kingdom first. When we put each other first. When we love one another. When we're devoted to each other. When we're not just thinking about who's meeting my needs, but we're thinking, whose needs can I meet? When we're not sitting standing there waiting for somebody to come fellowship us, but we're going to go and fellowship others. When we're not hoping that, well, I hope somebody texts me, but we're hoping, I hope I can really send some great texts to encourage people. Do you see the difference? It's taking the action that needs to be taken. Jesus warned us. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Most people's love will grow cold. I think the pandemic has dropped the temperature in the room quite a bit. And there are some people freezing. (laughs) They're growing cold. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be anybody in your Bible talk. Don't let that be anybody you care about. 
Don't let that be the, the young couple that you love and think are so cute and wonderful. Don't let that be the old couple that you like and thought were full of wisdom, but now you never see them around much. Don't let that be anybody you care about. And I know that not any one of us can save the whole church. The church has a savior. It's Jesus. It's okay. But God does put people in our life that we can encourage, that we can be a source of encouragement. God put us in a time and a place where we could read, we could buy Bibles, we could put them on our phones, we could do all kinds of things to connect with him. There's huge amount of resources to grow in prayer, to grow in strength spiritually. We're trying to provide those. There's wonderful people surrounding us. Wonderful. I know, I know the church isn't perfect. The church is full of problems and people. Why? Because every time you baptize somebody, they bring a boatload of problems. So the more people you have in your church, the more problems you're going to have in the church. God knew that, and yet he still made a church. But there are wonderful people. There are wonderful relationships to be had. I love Michelle and I's friendship with the Webbers and the Kiainas. They're such amazing people. Nobody knows what they have gone through. Believe me, they have sweat, blood, and tears to help this region. They have sacrificed so much on a personal level to just keep this region together, to take care of the region. I am so grateful just to be on the same team as them. There are so many other just amazing people. I think of the Vus and all that they're doing. I think of I think of the Sanchez and how much they serve and the Henleys, their willingness to 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 jump into this, all kinds of situations to help people out. I think of the Simmons who've who've done this for years, the Keys who serve all over the region, the Esperantos who've rolled up their sleeves and jumped in there and helped the campus, and the Downings who are always looking for a way to to serve in the community and to help connect the church. I think how all of us owe a debt of gratitude to the Newsoms who for decades were serving and helping the church. And, and I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, I think of the McLaughlins. I think of of, of um, all the, the, the Spanish ministry and, and how much Gab- Gabriel and Letty have done for the Spanish. I mean, there's just so many heroes around us that we need to lift up their arms. But those are the people that I know well. I know there's a whole bunch of people that I don't know very well who are also awesome and wonderful. We got to connect with each other. We need to help each other. We need to we need to understand how incredibly important this family is that God gave us. Do not let Satan, do not let Satan pull you away. Do not let your heart grow cold. Do, do, do not let Satan throw obstacles. Don't st- sit by the pool and wish you could get in. Do something. Pick up your phone and text somebody right now how much you love them and appreciate them. Write God a poem tomorrow when you get up in the morning. You know, get on your knees and sing a song to Jesus. You might sound as bad as me. I have a terrible voice. But I think Jesus loves my, my singing anyways. He loves it when I sing to him. Do what you need to do, but make it happen. Do you want to get well? Get well. God bless you and welcome you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.